0: Her agent and her lied and said she was British. She came up with this whole backstory about being born in England or something. And her parents had horses and shit. Like, she made up this whole fucking story. That's awesome. And, and she goes in there and she nails the audition, gets the part. And she said, halfway through production, she was talking to somebody on the set. In her normal voice, and Scorsese heard her and goes, "That's an amazing American accent." <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, "She goes, yeah, uh, about that. <gasps> I'm American. What's <laughs> actually born in Georgia?" <laughs> and he goes, "What?" And she goes, "Yeah, I faked the whole audition." <laughs> and apparently, he loved it. He just right, ro- he started rolling, and, and yeah. you know, and you can imagine Scorsese oh, just yeah. laughing his ass off at that.
1: Welcome to the Silver Screen Happy Hour. I'm Chris Wiegand, along with my brother Jerome, a screenwriter and graduate of Columbia College, Chicago. You're in for a treat today. I'm really looking forward to sharing this episode with you, especially if you're an aspiring filmmaker. You'll find that this episode was much more than just a couple of brothers having drinks, talking movies. Because of the two world-class filmmakers that made these films, Steven Spielberg and Martin Scorsese, the conversation was... Just fantastic. Before I say anything more, let me just get the film roll going of our conversation and we can jump right in. What two movies are we discussing today, Jerome? As well, I get t- my drink ready.
0: Today, we are comparing and contrasting. I'm very excited about today's show, by the way. I haven't been this excited. Oh, <laughs> man. For those of you who don't see us, he just showed me what he's drinking today, and now I want to go get one of those out of my closet. So he's am pouring a little there.
1: bit of Jameson's while, does, that have, we...
0: does, does that have the flame-retardant cap on the top?
1: Oh. oh, yeah. I might as well just finish this bottle. Sounds like he's peeing. Yeah, that's a, that's a nice shot and a half, maybe. Peeing with a right. prostate problem. <laughs> So I actually have two drinks, uh, one for both movies. Uh, so,
0: all right, can I let me get yeah, back to this? Yeah, tell us about so, the movies we're talking. Yes, about. I'm very excited about this. I'm excited for different reasons, not because I, I liked both films. But because of the filmmakers involved, I knew we would get awesome story structure. Mm. And they didn't disappoint. So the first uh, we are doing The Fablemans, directed Mm -hmm. by Steven Spielberg, uh, 2022, up for uh, a collection of Oscars. Actually walked away empty-handed last Sunday. Mm -hmm. And we're going to match it up with with Hugo, which is a Martin Scorsese film from 2011. Mm -hmm. And you'll be interested to know that it's a, a, a Scorsese film that I had not seen before. I watched it specifically for this podcast, and that's rare for me because not only is it a Scorsese film, and I'm a huge Scorsese fan, I've seen, I thought, I saw everything. But Hugo, Hugo was up for like nine Oscars yeah. and won like five of them. Like it was, it had a huge, no eleven. It was up for eleven Oscars and won five. And I keep thinking, where the fuck was I when this was happening? How did I not go see this movie? Well, you know what's funny? Not...
1: I thought I saw it because I knew I knew we owned it, and so I I thought. I saw it, you know, and when you said this movie, I'm like, Oh yeah, I think I saw that. So I'm watching it, I'm like, nope, I must have slept through this one. <laughs> and that's not saying anything bad about the movie. It's just we've talked about before, my work schedule's stupid. I get up at three thirty in the morning. So usually when I watch movies with the kids when they were little, it was nap time. <laughs> yeah. And and this so we picked these two for a couple of reasons. One, they're both sort
0: of like coming of age films, but both are, I don't want to say semi-autobiographical for sure The Fableman's The Fableman's is for sure autobiographical for Spielberg But Scorsese's uh, Hugo isn't necessarily autobiographical to him, mm-hmm. but it it he has called it one of his most personal films because of he was always that kid a mm. kid that uh, was in awe of the movies right and uh, very technical, very mechanical like to fix things. He saw a lot of himself in the the main character, which is why he wanted to direct it. So two personal films for their filmmakers and both coming of age stories. So that's why we chose the two. I was very happy that we did because I was going to watch The Fableman's anyway because it was up for the Oscars, you mm-hmm. know, up for best picture. And like I said, I couldn't believe I let's just Snoozed right through 2011. Apparently, like I just missed that whole year. I don't know what I was doing, how drunk I was, but I missed. I just missed Hugo. Somehow it just slipped through the cracks. Yeah. And, and while I was watching it, I was like, man, I would have loved to have seen this in the theater. Yeah. No because doubt. it was actually in 3D when it came out. Oh, was it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I can imagine it's, that. Now. It's yeah. Scorsese's first 3D movie, and it won the technical awards. It did win. Yeah. And, and this is what I was looking this up before I even watched the movie. I hadn't watched it and I was trying to get a little bit of backstory and that's when I was like kicking myself, like, how did I miss this? Right.
1: Did it get costume or anything? Like it costume? Won. Design it won. It won
0: cinematography, okay. sound mixing, visual effects, yeah. sound editing, and art direction. Wow. And you sit there and you're like, first of all, how does a movie win? Cinematography and visual effects because it's one or the other. You're either doing great fucking camera work or you're using CGI for everything, right? But Score says he pulls it off, he's got great camera work, <laughs> and the visuals were stunning. So, mm-hmm. um, so to, and it lost. It, th- listen to the ones that lost it was up for best picture, it was up for best director, best screenplay, editing, costume, and score, right? Uh, and those are the ones that lost. So, um, and the Fablemans. I uh, don't have a complete list of all the famous women's awards. I know that Spielberg was nominated. The film was nominated. Uh, Judd Hirsch was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Um, um, what's her name? Oh, my God, I'm drawing... Up. Michelle Williams was nominated for Best Actress.
1: I've always loved Judd Hirsch. He, I was so happy he was there, and he, he, did, he yeah. did a great job.
0: Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, he really... Uh, t- yeah. Uh, yeah, I like Judd Hirsch in just about everything he's in. Yeah. Um, so I was glad to see his little... Uh, his, but, but you know what's funny? He's nominated for Best Supporting Actor. I was telling mom this, too, because mom loves Judd Hirsch. And I said, you know, he's only in the movie for about two scenes. Yeah, he's I know. Like, he to shows get
1: nominated up... was pretty incredible. Because yeah, he it had really, such a short... You it know. really
0: was. He shows up at night. <laughs> he stays a day. They argue about whether or not they should even let him stay. It probably
1: wasn't even he, 10 minutes of the film, maybe. No, I, I mean, know.
0: He stays, and then he leaves the next day. Yeah. He's in it for one, like, one, two-scene sort of sequence. Yeah. Uh, and he gets nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Couple. So let's start with The Fableman, since that, we're talking about it. Be, yeah. uh, now oh, that the, oh. the
1: shows have been introduced, let's talk yes. about our drinks before we press on. So I already mentioned I'm drinking Jameson. Um, in Hugo, um, let, me, let me pull that one up. uh the uncle shows up at one part in the film um drunk and i noticed uh he was carrying around a flask and so this this uh (laughs) there's very little alcohol or any drug use in either of these movies there is marijuana use in the other one um, but i found uh, at least some kind of hard liquor in that flask i have no idea what it was he sounded british this is irish close enough you know, well, it, gonna... <laughs> it
0: took place. It took place in Paris. So. Yeah,
1: I know. Which is funny yeah. when they all have British accents.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I have a story on that too when we get to trivia, but uh, but anyway. Oh, and um, then the other
1: the other drink I have for later is um, is a beer. It's just a Mick Ultra because I noticed that the hey. the beach day. Yeah, there you go. That's what you're drinking um, on the beach day of uh, the the Fablemans. Yes. Uh, there was a lot of soda pop being drank by the teens, but I noticed uh, at least one of the teens had a beer. So, yes, I just, um, that's the nod there.
0: I as well had a little dilemma with what to drink, because there was, like you said, there's very little alcohol in these movies at all. I wasn't going to smoke there... a joint, because one of the kids did smoke a joint <laughs> and, at one point. And, and there is sort of a coming of age for, like, adolescence being talked about, so I didn't know what alcohol would yeah, right. fit with that. So I just stuck with beer. Again, also, McUltra. Uh, I really like the McUltra. I got the tall cans, the 25-ounce, because if you're going to do anything, you might as well go big. And, um, okay, so the Fablement. Yes. Um, some interesting things here. So we talked about on one of the previous podcasts about I think we were talking about Elvis. By the way, can I just say, were we right or what? <laughs> we caught call, we called Elvis's <laughs> structural problems.
1: Yep, and it didn't on win the previous one podcast. Award. It
0: didn't walk away with one Oscar. Not how many one. nominations?
1: They uh, had a truckload. Uh,
0: a lot. Yeah. yeah, I don't know, but there was a lot. And yeah. they didn't walk away with any.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and we talked about it. Whenever you have five writers or uh, four writers stretched over five credits or whatever it was, <laughs> you know, you're going to have structural problems. The Fablemans, two writers. Hmm. And, you know, one of them is Spielberg right, because it's right. his life story. Right. So the other one is, is uh, Tony Kushner, who's who. Does a lot. He does a lot of playwrights, but he's in a, he adapts scripts. He's a really good uh, uh, adapting films, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, some of his previous work. This is interesting: Munich, Lincoln, and West Side Story. What do all three of those have in common? They're all Spielberg movies. Yeah. So you know Spielberg. You uh, people wonder why. He uses John Williams for every movie he ever makes to do the score. When Spielberg likes somebody,
1: oh yeah, right, he's good gonna chemistry, work with them again. Yeah. good yeah, good product, yeah. Uh,
0: Janusz Kaminski uh, worked with him for many years as a cinematographer. I don't know if he did this particular film, but he's the one that won cinematography for Schindler's List. Mm-hmm. He is uh, Janusz Kaminski is a graduate of my alma mater, Columbia College, Chicago, mm-hmm. um, and he worked with Spielberg on many, many films. Like I said, I don't know if he did this particular one, but that's just an example. that Spielberg uses the same people over Mm -hmm. and over when he likes the chemistry. Uh, So Tony Tony Kushner was brought on. So it's just these two as writers. And like I said, you know, the first one was an easy one because he was telling his life story, practically. I didn't know how accurate it really was. And I got to tell you, from what i researched practically only the names were changed
1: in the I mean, fablements in the fablements it's yeah.
0: like 95% of it really happened to spielberg
1: i that i had no idea so when i when i when i was watching it i didn't do any research before and i'm i'm watching it and i'm like okay this isn't about spielberg cuz it's not his name it's not the spielbergs it's the yeah, right? <laughs> right so i was like okay he just made a fictional story that's kind of like about him um, yeah, that's basically what he did, but apparently, most of it's true. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, and, and it's and it's funny that he chose the name Fablemans because what is a it's fable? A, it's
1: a fable. Yeah, it's a story, right? Yeah, so yeah.
0: he's he's the he's the Fableman, right? Yeah. So that's uh.
1: So d- you did some research in the movie. I mean, I don't know how many spoilers you want to give up, but there was a, a marital rift that all happened in Spielberg's family.
0: True story. Yeah. True happened. Wow. D- definitely happened. His wife. Uh, his wife, his mother fell in love with her, uh, his father's best friend. Wow, left the husband and married this other friend and stayed with him forever. Hmm. So, um, it wasn't like it was just a tryst or an affair, she simply fell in love with a different guy,
1: right? Right, that was so well acted. I thought it was the way,
0: oh, it's heartbreaking,
1: it is. And and it was, you know, the good acting is believable, you know, and and the way it's shot and the way it's discovered. Um, it was really cool. I mean, because I don't
0: think he tips his hand to the audience before the characters are supposed to know about it. Right. Because I, I could tell it right away. Like, uh, some of the scenes and shot selections Spielberg uses...
1: They were subtle, though. They, I, I remember mean, thinking, yeah. what,
0: what's going on there? Yeah. That seemed to be a little this or that.
1: I know, yeah, I, I, I know. And I
0: didn't really want to think much of it because right. I didn't know what was going to happen, so I didn't think anything of it. And then it started to increase, yeah. and then all of a sudden the boy, uh, Sammy starts noticing it in the background of the films he's shooting.
1: And Sammy's sort of the the character that kind of plays the young Steven Spielberg.
0: Not kind of.
1: Well, right. I mean, can you believe
0: the actor they got to play this kid? If you look at old pictures of Spielberg from the 60s and 70s, this kid looks just like him.
1: You know what's funny? I I read some trivia on that. Um, He didn't know he was going to get the part. He got called back like three times. (laughs) And and when he was told he got the part, he was told he's going to be playing... The younger or the young uh, Sammy, young Sammy, I think is what it was called. So he thought, oh, okay, this must be like a multi-part movie where I'm going to play the young one. He right, thought He right, thought right, there right. was going to be an old one.
0: Yeah, like like, like like yeah, like his So he's reading or and or
1: he's reading. He's like 30 pages in and he's not even in it yet. And, he, and it's and it's young Sammy, the young young boy that played him as a little boy. Right. And uh, and then finally gets to his part and he's like, oh wow, so it must be a three-part. You know, thing where there's an adult, adult Sammy. Yeah. No, nope, he had he had the role the rest of the way, so that that kid was happy. <laughs>
0: yeah, and he did a great, and he did a great job too. Yeah, and um, you know, it's so it, it, it's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful script. It's a beautiful story. It and and yet, and it's funny because filmmakers Spielberg. This is only Spielberg. I think only like his third writing credit in his career mm, yeah like he doesn't write a lot what was the, the other thing
1: i thought it was the it was the second one since the 90s what was the one in the 90s AI. I, he, he yeah one called AI, yeah Artificial yeah because that was another bit of trivia i read that he, that was his second writing credit since ai
0: yeah and before that it's um poltergeist yeah, he wrote okay. Poltergeist. Wow. That was the only other. So think about that. And <laughs> Spielberg's illustrious career—he's written three fucking movies. One of them's Poltergeist. <laughs> Another one's AI, and then The Fableman.
1: I didn't like right? AI that much, but whatever.
0: Uh, it was disappointing.
1: Yeah, it was disappointing. I—I I agree.
0: But but it but... made money. <laughs> oh, of course. But here's the thing: and Scorsese is very similar. Scorsese's got some writing credits. I know he was. Uh, uh, I'm sure he's got writing credits on, uh, I know he does on Goodfellas, uh, but he's never the sole writer, right? Mm. He adapts uh, films he wants to make uh, with other writers, Gotcha, usually. gotcha. And um, so he doesn't have a lot of writing credits either, though. A lot of times he's just a, dire- just a director. I say that like he's, that's, you know, this hack that lives down the street. Just, you know, he doesn't know what the hell he's doing. You know, yeah, Scorsese, he, he knows pretty much what the hell he's doing. So um, he's just a director. But, um, but the funny thing is he can put, like Spielberg, they put their imprint on the storytelling that they do with the camera. Like that's what they're good at, right? They don't need writing credit mm-hmm. because they know that at Saving Private Ryan is a perfect example. If oh, anyone yeah, yeah. ever reads the script for Saving Private Ryan, you would walk away going, "Who made this shit? Like it's not that great. It's very mediocre. It's it's I want to say the writer comes off very much like he's still in college because it's got a lot of first-time screenwriter clichés in it. Hmm. Um it's it's an okay script, but when Spielberg gets his hands on it, he turns it into Saving Private Ryan, yeah. right? The, the movie masterpiece, that we know that's right. a masterpiece and wins Best Director, <laughs> right? So yeah, when there's
1: no lines, just a look on someone's face, and I, you know what I mean? I mean, there's sh- a
0: lot that you yeah. can't put in a script that these directors bring out, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and even dialogue, like even if you write blase lines of dialogue, Spielberg will pull these actors aside and say, "Hey, look." Forget about what the script says. <laughs> like, you know this character, right? You auditioned for this role, you know what the character is, you know his background. If you wanna improv a line here or there, let's go with it. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, very few legendary directors, I'm gonna say Kubrick might be the only one. Every other legendary director, they let just let their actors act, man. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like Like I'm here to tell the story with the camera and it's a collaborative art only Kubrick might be the only one like I said that will do 78 takes because the actor won't get the line right you know what I mean (laughs) like every other legendary filmmaker from Clint Eastwood on down just says hey when I say action give me the damn scene you know what I mean just make it happen Mm -hmm. so that's how Spielberg can turn something like a mediocre script into Saving Private Ryan Um, and and with the Fablemans you know that it's his own life story yeah so um i got to imagine when tony kushner was was there they probably worked very very closely and spielberg was probably over his shoulder every minute going and ah, yeah, yeah change that change that no, no 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 that's that's not that's not what my mom said no no no, no. she would have said this instead you know or she right. said this instead so whatever but um but two writers is the point yeah right and one of them, obviously, it's a story about his life, so he's going to take it very, very uh, closely and carefully. And because of it, you have a nicely, a nicely tight script. Actually, what I was saying was before I lost track. I people that listen to our podcast know how much we go off on tangents. <laughs> tangents. Um, The point is it still follows a three-act structure. It still follows the same Mm. writing guidelines. I think that's maybe what Tony Kushner brings to it. You know Mm. what I mean? Spielberg's got his whole life story he wants to cram into two hours. It's Tony Kushner's job to say, okay, what is the tangible goal? What is the spiritual goal? What's the midpoint scene? Where is the all is lost? And it still follows all these structures.
1: So can we talk about that for a minute with with this movie? Because um, I was getting confused because like i tried to watch it without analyzing it the first time okay. and i kind of went through it kind of for analyzation purposes and like i was i was struggling to separate the tangible from the uh spiritual goal for uh young sammy I mean, it it's said in the first minute or or whatever of dialogue, you know, he's a he's a little boy and he's afraid of the movies. He's afraid he's he's filled with fear to go in there, right? And um, you know, and the dad tries to talk him down and tell him what what's it, you know, what it's all about. But so fear seems to play a a role in his character arc, right? Um, the fear of people, the fear of unknown, fear of things. Um, and so, and he's confronted with that fear throughout the movie, fear of bullies, f- you know, fear of, uh, uh, big, big time movie director at the end of the movie. Um, oh, man, that that was a great, was scene, a great you? scene. You know who
0: plays John Ford in that scene?
1: Yeah. Uh, I forgot his name. Um, David Lynch. <laughs> yes. David another Lynch.
0: classic <laughs> filmmaker. <laughs> who,
1: he who, is who, so from, great, man. From what I understand. The, the bark in his voice. Turn
0: down that part. <laughs> Like, four or five times.
1: Seriously? Like Spielberg,
0: Spielberg had to talk him into it. He, he asked him, like, five times. He kept declining. Every few weeks, he'd go back and ask him again. Did he no. decline
1: him like he did the kid in the movie?
0: Yeah, that's pretty much how it came out. But, what do you
1: say to him? Get the fuck out of my office. Yeah, right,
0: now, get the fuck out of my office. But, but what's great, is too, is how he ends. Did you notice the end shot, the last shot of the whole movie? Did you notice the last shot?
1: where uh did sammy's notice... sammy's he's, like he's
0: he's walking away on the lot but did you notice what they did with the fucking horizon
1: Oh uh, that, no, I didn't. I missed it. Okay. I,
0: so he said you gotta go back and watch yeah, it. I know
1: now. I know the part in the in his in his office where he told right, him to look at office, the art says, and asked him where the horizon mm-hmm, was.
0: Right, look at the horizon. If it's at the top of the frame, interesting. If it's at the bottom of the frame, interesting. If it's right in the middle, boring. So as Sammy's walking off, the horizon's right in the middle, and you see Spielberg go with like this with the camera, he just jolts it up. <laughs> so that the horizon's <laughs> I at the bottom. That. Oh, my, oh god. my god, you gotta go back and yeah. watch that. That's a, that's a, it's a great ending, and then of course it goes black <laughs> and the credits roll. And it is a great again. Is, we, I, we I can't talk believe about, I missed that. Yeah, that's a great final shot of the movie. But um, and again, this isn't the kind of ending when we say spoiler alert. This isn't the kind of ending that's ruining the movie. That we just talked about the yeah. final shot in a movie about a biography of somebody. Yeah, so, yeah.
1: We know he ends up getting into <laughs> film.
0: You, you still know what happens to Spielberg, right? Like we're not ruining anything there. He becomes a filmmaker. So uh, so go back and watch it. Still anyway, but you got to watch that final. Right, shot. I'm looking later. at it right now. So. Um, what would you? Did you YouTube it? The final shot?
1: No, actually, I rented it and I still have uh, access oh. to it, so I could probably get in trouble because we're playing audio here yeah. on the podcast. We're
0: actually but, uh, watching a video on my oh, brother's it phone. Oh, there goes!
1: Yep, the camera and it kind of <laughs> shook a little bit.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, he, yeah that, so that you would notice. Yeah, right? that's that was the so joke. good. I missed that. Did, he, he did it almost like a filmmaker going, "Oh fuck, I screwed up when you moved <laughs> the camera." He did it on perfect. Yeah. You did that on purpose, and it's so perfect.
1: Yeah, it was good.
0: <laughs> so um, so what do you think, though, did you catch, at least what I felt was sort of like the character's theme, mm-hmm. right? We always talk about in the first five to ten minutes, somebody says something to the main character that ends up being sort of like the theme, right? The the emotional tug-of-war back and forth that's going to carry throughout. Yeah. Um, in the first couple... Of scenes of the movie very early on when Sammy's still a boy, his father says to him, It's after he breaks the train. Yeah. And his father says to him, and I wrote this down because this is the second I saw it, I was like, Oh, there we go. That's that's the theme. Sometimes I can just tell yeah, what I yeah. think is the theme right off the bat. He looks right at him and he says, You can't just love something, you have to take care of it. And if that's not a metaphor uh... for Spielberg's love of film, right? You can't just love something, you have to take care of it. and if you watch the film with that in mind remember we always talk about the emotional tug-of-war the back and forth yeah he loves movies the whole time but every other scene not every other scene but you know very much scattered throughout he's actually taking care of his craft yeah right the other times the other half of the film he's taking care of his family Right. he's losing sight of being a filmmaker and he's worried about the turmoil that's going on in yeah. his, own his own household so in household
1: and that also includes him going to college
0: yeah because so him his... going to
1: college was all his dad's you know his yep. dad's plans for his life and that's he didn't you know he knew he wanted to make films
0: exactly and I wrote down that yeah. when he's not taking care of the filmmaking part he's the dutiful son
1: yeah
0: right yeah. and that's and that's his emotional tug of war and maybe
1: that's why it was hard for me to put my finger on it because that's not a bad thing you know being a good son you know trying to take care of your family those are good things but you're right i mean it was the the tug of war was obvious though yeah so yeah and
0: on that note if if taking care of the filmmaking aspect is his goal or is his his theme and his goal Mm -hmm. then remember we talk about the midpoint scene is usually something good and then the all is lost is usually something bad. But they're both turning points, so sometimes they're flipped. Yeah. And I think this time it's flipped. The midpoint scene is one of turmoil. It's the mid right in the middle of the film is where he shows the film to his mother. Right. That's all the clips of her and Benny. Yep. Basically telling his mother, I know you're screwing around on Dad. Right. 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 And that's the turmoil part. Right. And then the second turning point, I feel, near uh, as we get down to the uh, end of the second act, going into the third act... Is the uh, is the, the prom mm-hmm. where the girl breaks up with him and he shows the film? Now you think, well, that's a downer too, but not really because the film is a huge success. Right, right. Everybody in the school loved the film, and even the bully it, that wanted to beat the shit out of him was like, "Why did you make me look so good?" You
1: know? Yeah, he was <laughs> like, he was wrecked. Yeah, that was a yeah. great scene because so, and what that yeah. did for me too is like it it showed the power like it showed him too the power of film if you do yes. it right. You can exactly. have emotional reactions from people, both positive and negative. And, yeah, it was, that, was whole, that whole scene was awesome.
0: That's why, to me, that's the, the second turning point and, and the one that jumps you into Act 3 because it's his realization of how powerful him taking care of his craft, where that can take him, mm-hmm. right, as yeah. a filmmaker. And, and sure enough, you get into the third act— and, yeah, he's, he's, he has a panic attack in his own kitchen because mm-hmm. he doesn't want to do college anymore, just like Spielberg didn't. You know what I mean? He was like, I'm, I'm not going to learn anything reading books. I'm mm-hmm. not going to learn anything in a classroom. i I got to get into the studios. i got to, you know, the, the famous story, and they, they allude to it a little bit in this film, but the reality is how Spielberg got started, not a lot of people know this trivia, or maybe some do by now, mm-hmm. um, he snuck onto the set. He snuck onto a studio set. I want to say it was Paramount, and he just acted like he worked there for like weeks. <laughs> That's awesome. and nobody and nobody fucking said anything. <laughs> they just hey, g- grab that guy. Hey, can you move that grip over there? You know, he just he just walked on the yep. set and acted like he worked there. And anytime somebody needed a camera moved or a dolly set up, he jumped in and helped out and set it up, and they just thought he worked there.
1: How many times have you thought about doing that? You, well, you can't
0: you, do that shit nowadays. When you
1: first moved out there. When you first moved out of there. Of course,
0: when anybody reads that story, they're like, yeah, I'm going to do that. Unfortunately, the security at Warner Brothers, for instance, like today you can't do that shit. It's like, you know,
1: yeah.
0: fuck, you can't even get near that place without the fucking badges and security cards and everything. But back in the 60s, right. 50s actually, late 50s, early 60s, you could pull that shit off. Um, but anyway... So and you know and then he of course he got noticed he started working on TV shows on those sets hmm. and that's when he got noticed by Sid Sheinberg and they they let him direct an episode of TV that's how it all started wow so um, and they allude to it a little bit because John Ford gives him that little <laughs> if you could call it a pep talk at the mm-hmm. end of the movie. and then he walks out of there and he just it's like a light one off right that's the whole climax of the movie and he's walking. Down the set, right, right and right. it's just—it's sort of—that's what I mean by it. and they say they allude to it. Um, he's on the set, so uh, that's that's what I thought was a beautiful job by by screenwriter Tony Kushner. Was he still managed to keep those points? And it's hard to do when you're doing a biography. We talked about this when we did Walk the Line and Elvis. When you're doing a a a, a life story on somebody, particularly a fa- obviously a famous person. Um, You still have to find that through. We all live our lives in a three-act structure. We just don't know it yet. You know what I mean? We all have a first turning point, a midpoint scene, and a second turning point. We just don't know when they are until we're on our deathbed. Then we could say, ah, yes, that was the midpoint scene of my life, wasn't it?
1: I'm hoping this is my midpoint scene. That's being optimistic. I
0: think I'm already at all is lost. Oh, shit. I've got the third act to go and I'm done. (laughs) <laughs> On that note, for anyone that's listening, this is for you. There we go. Yeah, there there's my all is lost transition period there. Um so yeah, I wrote I wrote that note down about how he he's distraught at the prom because the girl breaks up with him and he feels down, but he plays this movie in front of everybody and everybody loves it and it's right. a huge huge success. You know, that's where I get that he reaches his spiritual goal if he leaves school. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Uh, because he he doesn't just love film, he has to take care of it, and that was the theme that his father told him when he was a child, and he was finally seeing it into fruition.
1: You know that that scene that um, where he in the the midpoint scene where he talks to his or he shows his mom the 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 film clips of her and Benny of, of her and Benny, um, just these moments that he was able to pick up that just showed their their intimacy on on the screen. Absolutely. And uh, but that you could say that is also so if fear is the is the thing he has to overcome, the fact that he did that, that was kind of the completion of so-called of uh, him attaining one of those goals. He, he faced the fear, he showed her.
0: Well, I'm gonna say that that, that your, th- your fear theme, Runs concurrently with the theme that I was talking yeah. about about yeah, yeah. Uh, if you love something you have to take care of it and you're gonna find when we talk about Hugo there's two themes going on there too yeah. that I caught two interesting little themes that are going on simultaneously. I, I agree with your your fear one because absolutely and if you think about. Even how it ends, yeah. Like you said, the fear of him having to go into John Ford's office, <laughs> I almost, I almost and heard get, his
1: knees knocking. And, and it was like... get
0: the shit kicked out of him verbally by an old man. Uh, you know, it's it's. <laughs> I mean, it's just awesome. I mean, and like you said, like there's also a lot with the school, and I mean, how much anti, you know, anti-Semitic, yeah, abuse, yeah. abuse that he had taken in real life too. Spielberg talked about how. You know being bullied for being jewish when you're growing up was just a common occurrence you know what i mean um again it it makes me angry
1: too because the a lot of anti-semitism um unfortunately came out of well i guess you could just say some toxic christianity um where it was taught that it was you know the jews killed jesus well theologically it was our sin that killed him (laughs) You know, <laughs> so it always upset me when I heard that people would say that, and then they said that in the movie, I'm like, oh man, yeah, yeah. so
0: well I you know side little side bit again, because we like to go off on tangents, <laughs> I once dated a girl
1: oh <laughs> this
0: is this is like shit, this had to have been like twenty years ago, and uh I remember it was actually it was it was around two thousand one or maybe two thousand two when did uh uh Passion of the Christ come out?" was that 01? 01 or 02 Gosh, somewhere remember. in there? Um maybe even 03 somewhere around there. Anyway, I was dating a girl and her family was uh not catholics but there were you know, Christians. Oh, oh 04. Oh 04. Okay. So, yeah, that's, that sounds about right. So, I was dating this girl, her family were were very uh devout Christians, not catholics but Christians. Mm-hmm. And uh Passion of the Christ come out. And I remember saying I happened to go over to their house hmm. and we were talking about the movie. They hadn't seen it yet. And I said, yeah, it's getting a lot of uh, criticism from some of the people in Hollywood. Because, you know, Hollywood has a, a very large Jewish community and, you know, there's a lot of criticism on the film. And she go the mom. This is the mom, my, the girl I was dating. Her mom goes, why? And I go, well, you know, because in the film it depicts, you know, that the Jewish leaders are the ones that condemn. You know, Jesus to death, and she goes, "Well, they did." <laughs> I was just like, "Okay, so what's for dinner?" <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I Jeez. wasn't even gonna, go, I wasn't even gonna go into the argument <laughs> or discussion. It's not yeah, really an argument. I was just, I, I was know. just like, "Okay, so what are we having for dinner?" I'm so to, uh, and, yeah, and
1: that's what I mean about the way people <laughs> interpret history and in the scriptures. It's like, oh my gosh, because it, you know, it is true. It, it that is what happened, but you could you know standing back looking at the story you could say uh religion it was religion that yeah. killed him you know yeah. in Jesus general. was jewish after all. because i know some pharisees <laughs> that aren't jewish if you know what i'm talking about yeah you know what i mean there's some religious pharisees in the world today that aren't jewish so <laughs> yeah anyway all right so uh anything else you want to add on the
0: fablemans
1: no it's great film so i think we should uh jump ahead to hugo
0: Okay, so Hugo, set 1931 Paris.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, And again, as we talked about earlier, some amazing shots. And the fact that a film can win, not just be nominated, but win cinematography and visual effects. I want to say Titanic did it too in Mm. in 98, early 98. Um, But very few films can pull that off Mm -hmm. to where, because like I said, it's either one or the other. You know what I mean? You either you either have amazing cinematography because you're doing all this crazy shit with the camera or you're doing, like, Phantom Menace style and everything's with a green screen and it's CGI, right? right? <laughs> um, so it's it's amazing that you could do both. And and Hugo pulls it off. So, uh, again, one writer. One writer. Yeah. And it's not even Scorsese. It's John Logan. Yeah. Um, and I, I want to say, you you, sh- you should know John Logan. I think John Logan did Gladiator, if I'm not mistaken. You might have to look that up. Um, but it was based off a book. He adapted a book. Uh, the book was called The Invention of uh, Hugo Cabret. And uh, so, again, when you get one writer, you can deal with...
1: Yeah, John something. Logan was... Uh, he wrote... There was two people that wrote in that, but John Logan wrote the screenplay for Gladiator.
0: Yeah, okay. Yep. yep. So, um... And he's probably got a lot of other great credits, too, because, you know, Scorsese ain't going to work with crap, so. <laughs> so. Oh, my gosh,
1: yeah. The <laughs> yeah. Aviator, Skyfall, Rango, <laughs> Sweeney yeah. Todd.
0: Exactly. I mean, the list so, goes
1: on. Yep, the list Holy goes crap. on. And,
0: and, and that's the funny thing about Hollywood. For all you writers out there who want to make it in Hollywood— just pick a random person and go look at their writing credits, and you'll see that they have a huge body of work that you might not even realize. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? And a lot of times they're hired to adapt something. Right. It's one thing to be an original screenwriter, and you get to direct your own shit, and, you know, like you're Quentin Tarantino or something. I mean, that's rare to, to be able to make it like that. A lot of guys are just hired writers, mm-hmm. right? They're just hired uh, they're hired by directors to adapt books or adapt stories, and they just they have a great structure sense. They have this, The structure that we talk about in these podcasts, these guys know it like the back of their hand. So that's why they keep getting jobs. That's why the Spielbergs <laughs> and the Scorseses out there, when they read a book that they like, you know what I mean? Scorsese probably read this book, The Invention of Hugo Cabret, totally identified with the kid, mm-hmm. and was like, you know, I really want to make this into a film. This might be a good point to edit.
1: <laughs> Let me crack my beer. Okay. Ooh. Yeah. I love that cracking noise.
0: Oh. Uh. <laughs> now it sounds like you're peeing into foam.
1: <laughs> kind of looks like it, too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I like how you poured that right into the same glass you were drinking the Jamesons out of.
1: Gives it a little extra flavor. Yeah, I bet. <laughs>
0: Anyway, Anyway, so where was I? Where were we? So I was talking about, you know, I can imagine Scorsese reading the book, The Invention of Hugo Gray, and thinking Uh, to himself, I want to make this into a film. I need to find a screenwriter, right? So it's, you know, he might have people he always uses, you know? I know that he had a a, a different writer adapted The Departed, you know? But who knows? He may have called a bunch of guys, and they might have been like, I'm already on to something. I'm doing a film for Spielberg, or I'm doing a film for Clint Eastwood, or whatever. Right. And he was like, all right, well, let me find another one. You know what I mean? Like, eventually he gets to John Logan. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) I don't know how it worked out. But these guys, that's my point to anybody that's listening. You know, I don't want anyone to think that you're just going to jump into Hollywood and be Tarantino. It just doesn't work out that way. It's just that's so rare. It's rare to make it at all. But if you're going to make it, generally you're a writer for hire. You know what I mean? You're a guy that just adapts scripts or, you know, a, a, a very, you know, Gifted person who can come along and and you know just be somebody that people turn to to write you know, yeah. um, and and I think that there's a nice, um, I, a nice and sorely needed influx of women writers. There's so many great female screenwriters mm-hmm. out there now, mm-hmm. and it just wasn't the thing for our longest time in Hollywood. It was so. Uh, stereotypical, yeah. male-driven, you know. And like I said, you think it, it's writer-for-hire now. Mm. Shit, back in the 50s, there might have been five dudes that wrote every movie. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? So... Um, but nowadays there's so much diversity and it's so great when you see, you know, movies like Parasite win best picture. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, like you just get an idea that there's so much, uh, uh, more out there. So many more points
1: of view. Wasn't Promising Young Woman a female writer too? Yes, I know it was her writer, director. Did she write, write and direct it? Yep.
0: Okay. Yeah. So, um... You know, and again, sorely needed because we need some new flavor in Hollywood. There's so much of the same old shit mm-hmm. that it's it's nice to have new perspectives. So, you know, I th- I still think that there are barriers in Hollywood that old school, you know, the old white man is still running a lot of the studios, right? So it's not a free-for-all yet. It's getting there. It's far better than it used to be. Yeah. But, you know... Um, well,
1: especially now with the advent of the streaming services and them yes. entering the the picture. Yes. It's it's kind of wide open now. I mean, yeah, if and- you're if you can if you got any writing chops or directing chops, there's no reason you don't get in somewhere.
0: Yeah. And you know? like I said, you, you might work as uh, pardon the term, you might work as a hack for a long time. There might be 10-15 years where you're just hired to write to rewrite other people's shit. Yeah. But it's work, man. You're getting yourself out there. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, a lot of these guys that are, that are hired to adapt these books do have original screenplays. If you were to look up John Logan right now, I know you had him on IMDb, mm-hmm. but it'll tell you, it'll say written by are the ones that are his, are his original screenplays. Ah. And then if it says screenplay by, you know those are the ones he adapted. But I bet you there's a healthy dose of both.
1: Hmm. Yeah, interesting. You know what I mean?
0: So, you know, that's that. So, anyway. So, Hugo. Hugo. Okay. Um... Uh, another one that I really really liked (laughs) and again I'm kicking myself because I don't know how the hell this one slipped through the cracks 12 years ago I don't know how I missed it Um, especially since a Scorsese film I feel so ashamed you know like I've always prided myself on being a Scorsese guy and how I just missed this one I have no clue and Mm -hmm. no idea whatsoever Um, but again for anyone that doesn't know, uh, you know, we usually start these shows with go watch the trailer. But it's actually a film about one of the first real filmmakers ever.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, George Malaise, who who is, is kind of forgotten because he, he has, if you IMDb him, he's got over 500 directing credits. Wow. He, he was one of the first that when film became a median, right? Like a, a form of entertainment. He was one of the first to... Oh, by the way, did you notice the 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 train link between both movies? Yeah. Right? So The Fableman starts with... He gets so... He's watching um, The Greatest Show on Earth, right, the movie. Right. Yep. And the train crash is what freaks him out. And then he <laughs> wants to recreate it with his own train set and film the train crash. And then in Hugo... Uh, it's shot in a train station <laughs> and yeah. George Malays works at the train station and his one of his first real successes was shooting the train, the film, that short film of the train coming towards the audience. Yeah. And they say in real life that really happened where audience members were getting up and jumping out of their seat. They thought the train was going to hit them, <laughs> like that because film was so new then, you know what I mean? We yeah. sit here, we go to a movie, and we watch Avatar in the theater on the IMAX
1: screen, yeah. and we don't bat
0: an eye. We don't even
1: get motion sickness.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right? and, this, and crowds were going in to watch this train come at them, and they were moving out of their seats because they thought the train was going to fucking hit them. Yeah. So, you know, like, I mean, but he was one of the first. He, cre- he was the first to create a studio and shoot films in the studio, and he was the first to do a lot of things. He tried to get a camera from... um I don't know, this camera company that was building cameras, they didn't want to just give him one. So he had to build his own. So he built right. a camera. And it made me think of that documentary, Light and Magic, right. where yeah. uh, John Dykstra and those guys had to build their own cameras mm-hmm. to shoot Star Wars because we didn't have the technology. Right? right? They didn't have the technology to make Star Wars the way Lucas wanted. They had to build their own cameras. It made me think of that, that all these innovators, all these uh, auteurs, the beginning of film, the birth of film, had to make their own shit and really create it from the ground up. He was one of the first, if not the first. And he made over 500 films and they all were lost. Like they were all burned. And like I know. The, the heartbreak that he has, right? Like uh, it's so devastating. And, and here's where we get into the three-act structure of the tangible and spiritual goals. I'm gonna tell you what I think and then you tell me what you think, okay? Yeah. There is a scene near the beginning where George Malaise, who at this time is just a broken down old, angry shopkeeper. Right. Right? Where uh Hugo had broken his mouse, right? He dropped it on the he knocked it off the table onto the floor and it broke. Yeah. And he hands it to him and he says, fix it. <laughs> and he does, right? But <gasps> that to me what?
1: I just looked up George Lamaze. Yeah. Malaise. Malaise.
0: Mm-hmm. It's actually Georges. He has an yeah. it's S in um, here.
1: He's French. Georges Malice. So it says he directed 532. Yeah. But it says there's 960 titles connected to him. Yeah. Holy shit. Yes. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's why this guy wanted to kill himself. When it was like, and like he it, was he was born. During the Civil, when did the Civil War happen? Because he was born in 19, 1861, and he died in 1938. Isn't that yeah. crazy? So
0: 1938, now think about this. <laughs> the Oscars started in 1927. Yeah. So he, but he had already missed his, right? Because yeah. he had already, by that time he was already, remember, this takes place in 1931, <laughs> this film. Yeah. So he died seven years after the events of this movie took yeah. place.
1: I'm glad. I'm glad it like he was recognized before that he it died. ended well yeah. for him. Yeah, yeah, so
0: much, and that's the part that really gives you chills. Like, mm-hmm. um, so again, we go into the spiritual and tangible goals. Right? Yeah. Yep. So. Um, uh, so he tells you go fix it. And that, to me, I think, is a theme that runs throughout the whole film. That's theme number one,
1: yeah, Okay. that it runs through the whole totally film. Totally buying that, and, yeah.
0: And his tangible goal, what is it he wants to fix more than anything? The robot. The robot.
1: Yeah. And they, halfway they,
0: through the film, if it's not the fucking right at the midpoint scene, <laughs> he fixes the fucking robot. <laughs> so, I mean, tell me these guys don't follow script structure, right? <laughs> right at the midpoint scene, he fixes the robot, and then... He finally gets what he thinks is a message from his dad. Yeah. And it really, it it leads him on a whole new path, yep. right? Because the next scene, they go to George Malay's house to say, hey, look With the robot that we fixed drew this picture with your name on it. And they drop the box uh-huh. and all the drawings come out, right? And that is, uh, again, what you might consider um, – it, it was a happy moment for Hugo right because he fixed the robot. So that was his tangible. Right. that was his false victory,
1: right? right? right that was right. His,
0: his false victory. but he realized I mean, it immediately goes to shit in the next scene when they drop the box and the old man comes in and What a heartbreaking scene. He's not just mad. He sits down on the bed looks at Hugo and says you're just cruel <laughs> like to a child! <laughs> it says that to a child! If I looked Vivi in the face and called her cruel, she'd probably start crying. Like, like what a, the worst thing you can say to a right. kid, right? Like, you know he's mad, You obviously, but you don't know why yet, right? So when you're watching it, you don't know why he's so distraught. Uh, you know he's picking up everything and he's trying to tear the pictures and he, and that's when he sits down and delivers probably the most gut-wrenching line i've ever seen an adult give a kid in a movie and and then it's after that it's all about how do we fix it Right. Again, yeah, there's right. that theme of fixing. How do we fix this for the old man? Yeah. And they and the one guy, the uh, uh, what's his name? The guy that came up, uh, Rene, Rene Tabard comes up to them in the library. Yeah. And says, I know everything about this guy. I've been researching him forever. And they're like, well, guess what? He lives in this fucking town.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Right.
0: So, so they go to introduce him to him. And it's just a great sort of like build up. um To the second turning point, whereas, in my opinion, it's the second turning point because it leads you to the third act. They go to show the wife the film behind his back. They don't want him to know. He had just laid down for his nap and they go to show because they think he's going to freak out again.
1: Yeah.
0: He finds the film, one film that wasn't burned. And if it's not the best one, right, it's the one about the rocket getting shot into the moon's eye. Right. And that's become almost a staple of early filmmaking in Hollywood. Yeah. Is that film and they show it and everybody is excited and then he's standing there right he came yeah. in and saw that they were playing and, and he wasn't pissed in fact he was emotional and happy that something of his had been saved
1: right right that
0: you know the the re- and then it goes into a montage and then you know um what you know what had become of his life and everything and and then there's this big sort of chase scene where Hugo has to go get the robot right he's like oh not only do we find this film guess what else I got for you old man so he goes to get the robot and of (laughs) course then Sasha uh, 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 Baron Cohen's part as the station inspector uh yeah Borats in the film but his name is Gustav, Gustav and he's the station inspector yeah and uh stops him throws him in jail and there's like this whole oh no what are they going to do <laughs> um and and of course George George just saves the day at the end yeah and and it, and it's just a great um story but again it's perfect because the spiritual goal was he was told early on by George Malaise in the first I don't know 10 minutes of the film fix it yeah and what is it that he ultimately fixed? He, yeah. He... George's legacy. Right, right. Right. And again, we always talk about in great screenwriting, your spiritual goal is something you had no idea you were going to do. Right. right. No idea that that's what you were supposed to do. You know what you wanted to do and you get that halfway through. Yeah. But the end of the film is always something you didn't expect. And half, you know, again, halfway through the film, all he really wanted was to fix that damn robot. But by the end of the film, he realizes he fixed more than a robot. Yeah. He fixed the legacy of the greatest early filmmaker that ever lived. Yeah. <laughs> you know, very touching. Great Scorsese film. Um, so I have another theme that I felt ran yeah, yeah, currently. What was that? Um, the aspect of trying to combat loneliness with companionship. You see it throughout the film, right? Um, what, what, that, do you mean, what do you mean by that? So, so the film's littered with lonely people.
1: Yeah and, they're, yeah. and they're
0: trying to find companionship to fill the gaps in their life.
1: Yeah. Okay. Right? Yeah.
0: So, um, and if you look at that theme sort of connected to George Malay's sort of something's missing out of my life mm-hmm. because it was taken away from me. Even though he's married, he's happily married, but the aspect of film love, yeah. much like the Fablemans, the film love is missing Mm -hmm. because he lost it all so he's a heartbroken man and he's looking forward to get that back right Well, he's he's actually not looking to get it back he thinks it's gone forever right until it comes back into his life but think about all the other characters in the film the big guy that really big guy that works harry
1: potter yeah
0: yeah that constantly tries the, the
1: he's the uh the uncle, Harry's yeah. uncle or whatever. And he's
0: he's always trying to do something nice for the lady with the dog. Yeah. And the dog always growls
1: at him, right? <laughs> then, yeah.
0: But he's obviously trying- And then he finally
1: to... buys a dog. Yeah. Which is another <laughs> companion for was the dog. Who is a
0: companion for the dog?
1: I even wrote that on my notes.
0: I wrote, big guy always hitting on lady with dog. And then underneath I put, even the fucking dog. <laughs> like, even the dog was looking for companionship. Because yeah. he gets the dog a dog at the end.
1: <laughs> uh, Gustav, the station inspector, he's always yeah.
0: hitting on the girl with the flower. The yeah. flower girl. Like, yeah, from the you know kid. What I mean? She's right. from the
1: kid, right? The movie The Kid.
0: Actually, I was thinking, um, I believe she's in a very underrated and very little seen Ryan Gosling film called Lars and the real girl. Oh yeah. 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 I think she's in that she's, too. She's the sister, right? She's his sister. Yeah. Or, but uh, she was uh, Bruce involved.
1: Willis's assistant, the kid, right? Personal I, I, assistant. I, yes. You don't remember I right. Yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right.
0: Um, so there's that. And then, um, and then of course Hugo, mm-hmm. right? Who doesn't think I mean, since the loss of his father, yeah. and his uncle's been missing until they find out his uncle's been dead for months already, right? Like, this what a weird scene that is! I know. What a weird scene that is, though, because <laughs> Gustav is like, "Who the fuck's been running these these uh, these clocks for the last three months?" And he was like
1: chuckling about it when he was <laughs> telling everyone he's dead.
0: Yeah, it's he uh. like he's like, "Hey, they found him three months ago." drunk, as usual, and somebody's been running the clocks! Like Nobody knows! Nobody knows who has been running the clocks! Meanwhile, Hugo Hugo is overhearing this, and he's got this weird mixture of, I'm distraught that my uncle's dead, (laughs) or has been dead, but at the same time, holy shit, they're on to me! (laughs) Like... (laughs) <laughs> what a weird mixture of emotions all coming at once yeah uh, so but anyway um, <laughs> so but but even Hugo, because of the loss of his father and then uncle, mm-hmm. he also has been looking for companionship and he strikes up that friendship with Isabel relatively easily, right yeah yeah so um so I thought that there was sort of that mix there that the the two themes going on at the same time, but they were connected yeah. You know
1: about the companionship
0: I, or at least each character had something missing in their life that they were looking to fill
1: yeah well I thought it was kind of heartwarming too when uh, that scene where he, the, uh, he, the Hugo was put in jail or whatever or he was he was captured and um, what's his name Ben Kingsley George Malaysia. George yeah when he shows up and claims him as his own Basically. That's what I meant when yeah. I said
0: he comes and saves the day. again. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: But but the way he did it, and the words he used, I don't remember the exact words, but he basically claimed him as his own, kind of yeah. restoring a father figure in yeah. his life. You know, he I said that this was child cool. is mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was good. Yeah. It was good stuff. Yeah,
0: yeah. Very very great. Um, God, uh, I, again, I was so happy to watch both of these films. Um, <laughs> and again. Uh, uh, w- they didn't disappoint you you got to know when you see spielberg and scorsese right that even if it's a shitty script they're gonna make it a great script now these were both really good screenplays because because again one writer you yeah. know one writer on this one and Fableman's had two but i don't count spielberg because it was his life story so that doesn't count right right it was really tony kushner structuring
1: right spielberg's
0: yep. life story yep Um, And that's always a dead giveaway, folks. Every time you look at movie credits, if you see seven people were credited for writing a script, (laughs) probably shit. Just skip it. Probably (laughs) garbage. Probably garbage. Right? Probably a bunch of dog shit right there. Wait till it's streaming Um, on Netflix. Yeah, for free. Um, But but when you see one writer, and a lot of times you'll see this if it's, you know, like I said, I've I've used Tarantino as an example a couple times. If it's a writer-director who directs all their own shit, so that's you know that's usually a dead giveaway too because you know that they're directing their own script, um, but that could be a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah. You know, if you don't like that particular filmmaker's p- kinds of films, mm-hmm. then you know that there isn't. The... Film is collaborative. Everybody has a job. Everybody has a role. But when your your director and writer are the same person, a lot of times it, it cuts the collaboration down a little bit because. Uh, it's one person doing all the thinking, right? And when you see a script where the the credits say written, produced, and directed, by, then you know, well, shit, this guy threw the money in for it, too. That means it's really their film. You know what I mean? So, again, the collaborative effort is cut down just a little bit more. Now, the actors and actresses and editors and cinematographers, they still all have their parts to play. Yeah. But when you see Scorsese and you see a different writer wrote the script... You're getting an idea of, okay, this is collaboration. This is good. We're going to see a really good screenwriter adapt a really good book. Mm -hmm. And now we're going to see Scorsese's twist on it. And the fact that it was, again, his first 3D film, and a film that most people were like, this is unlike anything Scorsese's done before. He's known for Mean Streets and Goodfellas. Right, right. You know, for him to do Hugo, which is a coming-of-an-age story about a kid. Right. uh, It seemed out of left field at the time, I could imagine. I don't remember, because apparently I was drunk.
1: (laughs) I was asleep. (laughs)
0: I was asleep, but somehow, <laughs> yeah, you were asleep. I was drunk. Somehow, uh, it just sl- slipped right through my fingers. But I can imagine at the time critics were like, "Whoa, this is unlike him. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. This is interesting. It's not the kind of film he does. yeah, and he knocked it out of the park. yep. Hence all the Oscar nominations, including the Oscars that they won.
1: So I wanted to get to six degrees. I was going to throw at you the two uncles from the uh, from both films: the drunk uncle in Hugo and the uh, what's his name Hirsch in uh, uh, Judd Hirsch Judd in Hirsch um, Fableman's. Uh, oh, but what I was thought
0: his name? Th- what was his name too? It was uh, Uncle something. Yeah, there's. Uh, I thought it would so, be too easy. So Ray easy. Ray Winstone was was Uncle Claude uh, in in Hugo. Yeah. And Judd Hirsch was uh shit, uh, Uncle Boris. He was Uncle Boris in the Fablemans. So there was two uncles. But as you say, uh, yeah, there were two they're too big of names.
1: Yeah, they're really big. So I went with a more difficult but I thought was more difficult. We'll see was uh, the young the boy that played younger Sammy in uh, the Fablemans, uh, his name's what Mato. Zoran Mateo Zoran. That's, that's a unique name. Yes. And then uh, Asa uh, Asa Butterfield. Asa uh, Butterfield
0: and Hugo who so, played Hugo? Yeah. Hugo in Hugo.
1: Yes. Um so I thought because the first kid the younger Sammy I, like that was his first feature film and he was in yes. a short film so I was like you're going to have to, if you do this, you're going to have to use yeah. Hugo. So, so for those that aren't <laughs> familiar with this game, it's very similar to
0: Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, but we use it for any actor. We try to connect any two, and usually since we talk about two films, we pick an actor from each one, but we often say we can't use those films to make it even harder. Right. We have to use other films, but he's going to allow me to use The Fablemans today since Mateo Zoran has only been in The Fablemans as yep. a feature-length film. Uh, because that's actually the rule: a feature-length film that's been in
1: uh, on the big screen. That,
0: uh, that's been on the big screen. So we don't use television shows. We don't use directors. Um, it's actors only. Yep. I'm dropping my pen here. Um, but you, you'd be surprised. And again, for anyone, this isn't a stump, Jerome thing. We 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 started marketing it as that, but it, it's not really that. We really are forever in a search. If there are two people that cannot be connected within Six Degrees, we really want to know. Right. And as yet, we haven't found that. We have found that everybody, and I mean everybody, from Charlie Chaplin to Carrot Top, <laughs> any two people can be connected within Six Degrees. That's yeah. our argument. And we have yet to find uh, any two that cannot. This one's actually easier than you thought. Uh, of course, we know Mateo Zorn played the young Sammy in The Fablemans. Yes. Seth Rogen was also in The Fablemans. Yep. Uh, If you laughed your gut off at Seth Rogen in the film that uh, Neighbors, where he lives next door to Zac Efron and his wife (laughs) is uh, Rose Byrne. Anyway, there's a sequel called Neighbors 2. And in that film is Chloe Grace Moretz. Who, of course, is Isabel and Hugo? Wow, that was easy. So that's only three <laughs> connections. The Fablemans, yeah. Neighbors Two, and Hugo will connect you. Will connect Mateo Zoran to Asa Butterfield, uh, and only took three this time. Yeah. A- and and here's the the asterisk we always put at the end of these things. It might even be able to be less. Who <laughs> right. knows? Yeah. I'm not claiming to be the know-it-all. We just our point isn't to try to find how few connections we can make. It's just that there is a connection.
1: Yeah. So for we those have, of you listening, if you can do it in less than three, let us know.
0: Yeah. But, <laughs> now, but the rule is we have to get it at least less than six. It's got to be six yeah, or less. Six or less. Six degrees is the game, and we really want to know: are there two people out there that can't be connected? Now I know what you're probably going to say. You know, I'm sure that there's some background actor from a 1927 film in America that can't be connected to a background actor and some. I don't know, Korean film from 10 years ago.
1: Maybe. <laughs> but but
0: <laughs> we, haven't, we haven't been proven otherwise yet. I tell you uh, what, I'm going uh, to- give, give give me that opportunity and I'll try to find it.
1: We should have an episode where I just pick two actors that aren't even in the movie we're discussing because now I want to give you uh, George George's malaise- <laughs> And connect him to somebody. We'll connect him to Carrot Top, maybe. Right, because he was an actor, too.
0: He appeared in yeah. a lot of his own films.
1: Yeah. But now you're just that... fucking with me, man, because
0: that's, <laughs> that's like 1910 and you 19- deep. I'm going to need IMDb for this one. <laughs> oh,
1: wow. So,
0: uh, so, yeah, another good show.
1: Yeah. Any fun. other
0: thoughts on these films?
1: No. This is a fun uh, fun gig. I, I enjoy I wish we were making millions of dollars doing this, but yeah, it's, that'd be great. it's a good if, it's a good if, night drinking if anyone wants talking to movies. Us,
0: <laughs> if anyone wants to pay us a million dollars, we'll do it. But uh give us a nice studio, we'll do this shit all the time. Yeah. Um, well if I get better
1: no, at this, we can, you know, do the, do the Patreon and whatever, get some sponsors, but well we're just again doing this for I, kicks and giggles.
0: I I particularly was looking forward to this one because of Scorsese and Spielberg. Um, yeah. Sometimes uh, you know, there, if you've listened to our podcast, we've had we very few times we have a dud. I think only once we've had a dud so far. Uh, that really awful Mel Gibson movie that we saw.
1: Well, here's but the even thing, that, Here's the thing. It, I, you can call it a dud. But it made for entertaining listening, I think, because yes, we both yes. shit all over that movie. <laughs> and
0: that's the funny thing is, well, actually, you could argue that we we didn't give a lot of love to Elvis either in the script. Yeah, now, we love, we both loved the movie. Yeah, but the script was littered with
1: problems. Yeah,
0: and if and anyone listening doesn't know what we're talking about, go back and listen to the uh, Walk the Line and the Elvis podcast. Yeah. So uh, that's another example of. Um, you know, sometimes we'll pick a film. It's not necessarily because the script is so great. Sometimes it's because the script has problems. Yeah. And we're using it as a tool, as like a learning tool. You know, part of this podcast, this all started because we like to sit around drink and talk movies. (laughs) But then we realized, you know what, there's people that are are writers that might be interested in some of this shit that we talk about about writing structure. So, um, we're not licensed teachers, but we like to try. Again, we've, we've stopped talking about what we're going to do next week because sometimes <laughs> the movies change and sometimes the date changes. So, yeah,
1: exactly.
0: Um, so uh, I, I can say that we're looking forward to picking two new films. Um, I, will, I, will, I will push this little teaser that Everything Everywhere All at Once just won seven Oscars including screenplay it
1: would be a crime if we didn't cover it
0: you can bet we're going to do everything (laughs) everywhere all at once eventually uh might be the next podcast it might not but you can bet we're going to get around to it because who doesn't want to mess around with the multiverse (laughs) and see how can you possibly follow a coherent three-act structure with the multiverses going on all at the same time. So
1: I'm actually looking forward to doing that with you just so I can get your help. I struggled when I, I saw that movie and I was just like, what the hell is going on?
0: I already have a lot of thoughts, but we'll save it for that podcast yeah. when we do it. Um, but uh, yeah, you know it's um, you can bet that that's going to be on the list. But this is part of the fun. We like, and that's why a lot of times Oscar season will will pique our interest. Yeah. Uh, for anyone listening, we're in Oscar season at the time of this recording. We had just finished the Oscars. It was it was Sunday night. It was a few days ago, and um, and that's a lot of times where we pull our movies from, or at least the current movie. Right. And then we try to pair it with something from the past. Um, uh, so that's you know, this is a fun time. This is where we get to pick a lot of our movies. So yep. everything everywhere all at once. That's a hell of a sweep.
1: Yeah. Hell you yeah. win seven and yeah. it's
0: not just seven technical awards, folks. This was seven of the big ones. Oh yeah. This was best picture, best director. Three of the four acting categories right. all went to this movie. And then you have the screenplay and what was it, the editing? I mean, was I don't that, even I mean, remember what was, the other ones were. Like, I mean, you can't get any bigger than that. Uh, I think I posted on Facebook, I said, that's a better haul than Silence of the Lambs had. Silence of the Lambs may have had uh, the top five, yeah, right? Picture, director, actor, actress, screenplay. But this one had seven... <laughs> At <laughs> yeah. seven, and it's three acting awards, not yeah. just two. So, yeah, that's crazy. I, I don't know, man. I think it's a, be- a bigger haul than *Sons of the Lambs*. Of course, nothing will ever top *Sons of the Lambs* in my heart. As, <laughs> as you know, what one day, one one podcast we are going to do *Sons of the Lambs*. I don't know what I could possibly pair it with because everything else would be insignificant. I guess but... it probably
1: have to be some kind of serial killer type
0: yeah it'd have to be something it'd have to be a theme driven one yeah but um yeah for those of you again who have heard multiple podcasts you know my love for sounds the lambs (laughs) such a great great film um but yeah so
1: uh look forward to that
0: all right anything to close out let's crack open another one but we'll do it off the air
1: (laughs) yeah go ahead and uh, reach out to us on instagram silver screen happy hour um love to love to hear your feedback comments uh yeah, all that stuff. So that's probably the easiest way. It's the, it's the, the account I check the most. we got a Facebook, too. Um, but, yeah, I'll get all of it through there. Oh, so, so forgot,
0: yeah. real quick, do I have time for a trivia? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so w- one last thing. Some of you may have already known this. Uh, and just recently I noticed it was going viral as a short on the Internet, kind of reviving this. But uh, James uh, Corden was doing an interview with uh, Chloe Grace Moretz, And asked her, isn't it true that you once faked being British? She was born in Georgia, by the way. She's American. (laughs) He goes, didn't you once fake being British to get a movie part? And she goes, yes. She goes, it was Hugo. And she, at the time, she was obviously a kid. Yeah. And Scorsese was only interviewing British actors and actresses at this point.
1: Oh, that's hilarious. He,
0: so when you said it's odd, ah, it takes place in Paris, but it's filled with all British people. <laughs> he was only interviewing British people. That's the only people he was auditioning. That's hilarious. She, her agent and her lied and said she was British. She came up with this whole backstory about being born in England or something. And her parents had horses and shit. Like she made up this whole fucking story. That's awesome. And, and she goes in there, and she nails the audition, gets the part. And she said halfway through production, she was talking to somebody on the set, and her normal voice and Scorsese he heard her and goes, that's an amazing American accent. <laughs> <laughs> she, goes, she goes, yeah, uh, about that, I'm American. <gasps> I was actually born in Georgia. And he goes, what? And she goes, yeah, I faked the whole audition. <laughs> and apparently he loved it. He just right he started rolling. And, and yeah. you know, and you can imagine Scorsese oh, just yeah. laughing his ass off at that. A director um, gets
1: duped by a good actor. <laughs> by a young? Like what was she,
0: eleven? Yeah, I know. Something like an eleven-year-old actress That's just totally amazing. duped. Martin Scorsese, one of the finest directors <laughs> of all time, is so great. It's such a great story. So that was the little trivia I had to throw in there. Yeah,
1: that. good stuff. <laughs> And that's where we yell cut and fade to black on this episode of the Silver Screen Happy Hour. We're so glad you listened in. Uh, you can email us at silverscreenhappyhour at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We'd love to hear from you, and uh, stay tuned. we got another couple of great episodes uh, in the can that are being processed right now. You're not going to want to miss them, so be watching for the feed. And uh, if you're not already, follow us on uh, whatever app uh, you're using to listen to the audio. And uh, you'll be sure to be notified the next time we drop one. So get out there and support your local movie theater and uh, go watch some movies. For my brother Jerome, I'm Chris Wiegand. Until next time.